sermon text for this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. We're in the Gospel of Luke for the past several weeks. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66 is all we'll cover this morning. We'll read the text. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, when they they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. We're in our sixth week now, going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're almost done with the first chapter. So next week, Lord willing, we'll finish the first chapter of Luke in seven short sermons. So at this pace, 160 or so more sermons, and we'll be through the Gospel of Luke. So what we're going to do is we're going to break after next week, and we'll do a small series, Lord willing, through the book of Zephaniah, um, and that will lead up to Advent which will then on Christmas Day, on Sunday, take us right into Luke chapter 2, the birth of Christ. So hopefully this will all line up just all right. But this morning we're talking about the birth of John the Baptist. We saw his birth prophesied back in, if you weren't here, back in chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. Um, We see this this whole story goes down of Zechariah goes to the temple to do his service as his appointed service within his priestly duties. And his uh, role gets called up basically to go present incense in the temple. And while he's in there, the angel Gabriel shows up and makes this prophecy that he and his wife, who are both advanced in years, are going to have a son and to name him John. And Zechariah is like, I don't know if you are aware of this, but there's no way that can happen. And that was me. He didn't really say it like that. That was me, my interpretation. Uh, we're a little old for that. And because of his doubt, the angel Gabriel says, you're not, you've said enough. Why don't you be quiet now? You're not going to talk uh, anymore. And Zechariah walks out unable to speak from the temple. And so we have this morning now the narrative, the, the fulfillment of this prophecy that Gabriel makes to Zechariah. But right off the bat, I just want a bigger picture, kind of answer the question, why does Luke share this story? I mean, it's, what, what's the motive behind Luke sharing of this story? 
One of the questions we should always ask when we read our Bibles is, what is the main point that the the writer is trying to communicate to his audience? Um, This book wasn't isn't a postmodern kind of well, just write things down and you figure it means whatever it means to you. Luke had an intention. The Bible writers had an intention, and they recorded what they recorded for a reason. And so, therefore, to be faithful to their desire, when we read our Bible, we should think about think along this line: What is the main point that this writer is trying to communicate to me? That's kind of what expository preaching is. Where I say I like I want to be a Bible expositor. I want to preach expository sermons. That's the idea that the main point of the text is the main point of the sermon. So the reason why I say that is there's lots of of fun applications we can make out of this text. We we could say something along the lines of when when, uh, Elizabeth has her baby, the whole community rejoices with her. And so we could walk away with this applicable idea that you should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And should you? Yes. That's good, fine advice. You don't need Jesus necessarily to do that, but it's good, fine advice. And when Zechariah goes through his trial and finally he makes it to the other side, Zechariah blesses God. And so we could say, you know, whenever you get through your trial, make sure you bless God. Okay? That, those are all possible applications or pragmatic things we could focus on. And the only reason why I bring them up now is to, is to prove to you I could do that sort of thing. <laughs> like the reason why I don't do that is not because I'm not able to look and see these pragmatic, practical applications. The reason why I don't go down that road is because the quest that we are on when we read our Bible is what is the main point the writer is trying to communicate to us? What is Luke wanting us to get from this part of the story? There's a few answers you could give to that, right? And just as I was walking around the past couple of days thinking about well, what could be some reasons, because writers employ different techniques for lots of different reasons. One, one thought that came to mind is that maybe Luke is including this story because we all know how important character development is when you're telling a story. Like you need to get involved with the characters a little bit. And so you give some backstory, you give some depth so that the story is, you become attached to the story. Like we've all watched movies that were really poor at character development or possibly books. Um, I'm reading a ton of them right now with my four-year-old. They're really kind of lacking in character development. You don't get very emotionally attached to uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Unless you read 30 of them, then you kind of get attached to them. But, you know, that, that's a tool people use, right, for character development. Maybe Luke He's just trying to get us involved with the story so that we care about John the Baptist because we've heard his backstory. That's maybe a possibility. Maybe he's sharing this story. Another reason could be he's trying to energize the narrative. So you've ever taken a history class and you read the textbook and it's like, you know, this dates, this happened. These dates, this happened. These dates, this happened. And, you know, by the time the, the teacher in his monotone voice is going through all the dates, the whole class is asleep. And so, you know, they, and the, so maybe Luke just doesn't want you to fall asleep. So he's energizing the narrative with, oh, look, all these amazing things that happen. So you'll stay involved with the story. I don't think. And we don't have to guess is the good news. If you remember way back in chapter one, verse four, Luke tells us why he's including these stories. The reason why Luke includes this story is because it's true. 
is because this is the history of what happened. Luke says in verse 4, he says he's written this most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke includes this story because he wants us to see the incredible series of events leading up to the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. And he includes them because these are the incredible events that really happened surrounding the birth of John the Baptist. And then similarly, next in a few, in a month or so, we'll get to the birth of Jesus. The reason why I point that out, that this really happened, Luke is sharing this because it's true, is because there's, it's real easy to kind of develop what I'm calling familiarity blindness with texts like these. Maybe you've read them many times. Uh, uh, you're looking for the Christmas story, and so you accidentally read more than you needed to, and you started early in chapter 1 or something. You've read the John the Baptist story. or They're, they're pretty familiar stories. And so we kind of get familiarity blindness to them. And so, oh yeah, this happened, this happened, this happened. Okay, moving on. What's the practical application? And we lose the, the incredibleness of what actually has gone on. We've, we have familiarity, blindness. We become so familiar with this story, we don't notice it. Things like this happen all the time in our lives, right? Um, we had a thing uh, we called store blind. I used to work at Pomida. I actually used to work at places. Then I worked at Pomida, and then I quit before Shaco came around. But uh, I used to work at, and we had a thing called store blindness. And what that was was basically I was really guilty of it because you would, uh, you would rework a whole shelf and do your new planogram or whatever you want to call it. And you'd always do it with a pop because, I don't know, you can't be expected to work without a pop, I guess. I should have been expected to, but I didn't. I always had a pop with a receipt taped to it. And so I would be working the counter and have my pop down there on the base. And I'd get done and I'd stand back and I'd be like, okay, that's done. I'd move on. And like three or four days later, you'd walk by and someone would say, well, is that your pop? And it's like, well, that's mine from four days ago. And, and you, you just have seen it that way for so long, you don't even notice it's there anymore. Like it, you just kind of become used to it. Or you ever walk by a store sometimes that you see an end cap that's got some weird uh, piece of belong or something from the store that doesn't belong there. Someone's picked up a shirt, didn't want it, so they just wadded it up and stuck it back into an end cap. And it sits there, we don't know how long, I mean, if they're not up on their uh, straightening things up, because... Really, you can, if you become so familiar with something, you walk by it, you don't even notice what's really going on. That can happen with texts like this. We become so familiar with them, we just we fly through them without letting it really hit us. What's going on here? Something is going on. This is something to pay attention to. And it's also easy to have just kind of, I'm trying to use big words, maybe I shouldn't, implicit apathy. So they talk about implicit bias in our culture today where you just intrinsically you just kind of have biases. Well, I think there's implicit apathy when it comes to the Bible and supernatural incredible stories that are here because we kind of put this book on our shelf knowing this, this book has kind of a lot of fanciful stories, uh, bushes burning with not being consumed, uh, worldwide floods, uh, waters parting so people can go through and then collapsing on other people, all sorts of incredible stories. And so there's kind of an implicit apathy, kind of like, okay, here's another one of the Bible's you know, outlandish stories. We have lots of fiction books on our shelves that have all kinds of invented tales. And sometimes this book becomes like one of just every other book. And we have implicit apathy about 
what is going on here. And I want us to fight hard this morning against those things. Fight hard against kind of the, you know, the familiarity with the text. Yeah, I've read this. I know this story. Fight hard against that to really see what's going on. And fight against implicit apathy that you just kind of live with when it comes to these story, stories in our, in our Bible. Fight against those. God, give us eyes. What is going on here? That we can have fresh eyes to really see how shocking and alerting this story is. So, what's going on in this story? Let's, let's try to look with some, as fresh of eyes as we can at the incredible thing that's going on here. And let's look at it from the perspective maybe of an outsider instead of, this is kind of, this is from Luke's perspective. But imagine with me that you are in Jerusalem at the time that this is all going on and you know Zechariah and Elizabeth and you show up, maybe you're even one of the priests along with Zechariah and Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're getting up in age. They're kind of like, the, they're, the, they're the senior kind of members and everybody likes them. They're nice people. You know, they don't have any children. So everybody kind of feels bad for them because they, they don't have the kids that they have wanted to have. And so people kind of feel bad for them. But so they're kind of, they're, you know, they're grandpa and grandma in the priestly community and everybody loves them. And one, one, one uh, tour of duty that Zechariah is on, he finally gets called in to give incense. And everyone's glad because you know, finally good old Zechariah gets to go do this, this amazing honor of presenting incense. And he goes in and he's in there kind of longer than he needs to be. You begin to get worried because Grandpa disappears longer than you think he should. You wonder what's going on. And uh, finally he walks out. Zechariah comes out and he can't talk. And he tries to make signs and he has some incredible story about Zechariah seeing an angel. All right, And you can, you can kind of be with me on this. Grandpa's seen an angel, and he's lost his voice. <laughs> okay. Oh, good old Zachariah and Elizabeth. Why uh, let's finish your tour. You know, he seems to be all right. Why don't you get home to Elizabeth? And they go off, and they're kind of, they're unseen for a long time. Zachariah's out and about because, you know, they're involved in the community. But Elizabeth, she's off the scene. And, you know, I don't, this is all speculation, but maybe, she, you know, she's kind of upset. Zachariah can't talk. He's, 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 he's slipping. He's, he's losing it. He claims he's had this great vision. Elizabeth is hiding herself away. You know, you kind of feel bad for, for good old Zechariah and Elizabeth because, you know, just a bad turn of events. And then, incredibly, you hear the news. Elizabeth was hiding because she was pregnant, and they now have a son. Okay. I didn't see that one coming. I mean, did you, I can't you imagine grandma and grandpa are having a baby and they've had the baby. And here he is. And eight days after this, we're going to, according to Jewish custom, uh, is going to circumcise the baby on the eighth day. So, well, I think I'm going to go see this. I got to make sure this is really going on. So you all show up to see this uh, baby. He gets circumcised and it kind of makes sense. You know, Zachariah, he's maybe going downhill a little bit. Let's name the kid after Zechariah. Let's, let's let him, you know, see Junior before he goes on to the great by and by. Let's let him see Junior. We probably should name the kid Zechariah. You know, let's let him hold his baby, his namesake, before it's all over. And Elizabeth doesn't want to call him Zechariah. He wants to call him John. Well, no one's been called John before. I don't, you sure Zechariah? I think Zechariah is going to like to have his kid named after him. Don't you think? That's, you know, he's going to want that. So they go to Zechariah, and Zechariah says, no, his name is John. And then, 
poor old Zechariah, tongue comes loose and he begins to praise God. Zechariah, who hasn't been able to talk for nine months, had this, we all think he's slipping, he's going south, all of a sudden begins to sing at the new birth of his son who's going to be named John. Something incredible is going on here. Is it not? Good old Zechariah goes mute. We think he's losing it. His wife and they disappear for months. And then all of a sudden, they have a baby. And when, when they name him, this man who has lost his voice for nine months, all of a sudden, supernaturally, starts singing praises to God, begins to bless God. In fact, this is what they, they, um, they the, the crowd around him do respond with. They all who heard them lay these things up in their heart. What then will this child be? His mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and he spoke blessing God. Verse 65, and fear came upon all the neighbors. Fear. And that's an important note that Luke is making, trying to force us to not get into our implicit apathy. Oh, well, isn't that an interesting story? They didn't think, well, huh, this is neat. They're like, what in the world is going on? I mean, they're, come on, are you kidding me? Zechariah and Elizabeth had a baby. He went mute, and all of a sudden, now he's singing a song. They're not, oh, wow, neat story. They're like, I think I'm moving out of town. This is, this is freaking me out. Because we, we, we want to see this story like in that way. What is God up to? Look at these incredible circumstances surrounding the birth of this son. This is something incredible going on. Luke is highlighting these events because God has worked them so that we would be arrested in our attention at the reality that something amazing was going on. And that's exactly what was happening. God was doing something incredible. So what was that incredible thing? The forerunner is coming on the scene. The forerunner to the Messiah is coming on the scene. Whenever you read about John the Baptist, keep your finger in a couple other places. You can go back to Matthew, which is the easiest to find. It's your first in your New Testament. And then you go left just a little bit to the book of Malachi. When you read about John the Baptist... Keep your finger in Malachi and in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, where this prophecy comes down that before the coming of God, before the coming of the Messiah, a forerunner is going to show up. Isaiah 40, verse 3, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of God shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice is going to cry in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. God is on his way. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. They know their Bible, and they know that it has been prophesied that before the coming of the Messiah, 
before the coming of the promised one, a forerunner is going to show up. Someone beforehand is going to show up. And in many ways, Zechariah is a parable of what's happened with God and His people. God has gone silent. For 400 years, since the end of the book of Malachi, God has gone silent. He has said nothing more to His people. He is not, they, they have been exiled. They have been uh, brought back. There's, it's a mess. And God is no longer sending prophets. He's no longer speaking to His people. God has gone silent. And at the birth of John the Baptist, a prophet, a voice crying in the wilderness, God speaking again. God is beginning to speak again. And they know that their Bible tells them when God begins to speak again, He's right on the heels of this forerunner. The forerunner is coming. Just like Zechariah for those nine months, God has been silent for 400 years But just like Zechariah's voice coming back, so is God's. So is God's. He's going to begin to speak again through his prophet, John the Baptist. What's the significant good news of that? God is on the move for his people. God is on the move for his people. Third thing, we see all these things and the people ask the question, what then will this child be? What is going on with this kid? <laughs> what will this child be? And we think, when I put that picture a little on, on Facebook, you think the question, what then will this child be, is probably talking about Jesus. No, they're saying, what then is this child, John the Baptist, what is he going to be? What is this child going to be if he's just the forerunner? You think about the amazing things that's going on with John the Baptist. What then shall this child be? But what if this child, as amazing as his circumstances are, what if this child, in all of his incredibleness, is just a pointer to the child? As amazing as this story is, all of these things are are to be throwing our gaze to Christ, throwing our gaze to Jesus. As incredible as the events are surrounding this child, this child is just the pointer to the child. It's kind of like, uh, here's my illustration for that. So basketball season, uh, football, sorry, is now over for Raiders. And in a few weeks, we'll start uh, basketball back up. And you all know how the, the basketball Friday night thing goes on. I think it's Friday night usually, isn't it? That's JV first, varsity second. That we'll have the two ball games and you'll show up. Some people will show up for the JV game. That's kind of where the underclassmen, those who aren't quite as polished, show up and do their basketball. And then later, the varsity comes out and the crowd kind of grows for the varsity crowd, right? Because that's the better, the better basketball game that's supposed to be going on. And usually that's, that's just the way it goes. But let's pretend, for the sake of an illustration, that you and I, we decide to go, let's go crash the JV game. Let's show up right at the beginning. Let's watch all the JV and all the varsity game. And we sit down for the JV game, and we're sitting there watching, and all of a sudden, these JV players are lights out. I mean, everybody is over 6'3". Everybody, they're, they're dunking, they're throwing alley-oops, they're, they're making passes that you don't, didn't know could be made. They, when they shoot from behind the arc, they never miss. It by, they, you know, they, 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 they hold the other, they block every shot, they steal every ball. They're just lights out. By halftime, the score, let's say, is 90 to nothing. I mean, let's be credible. We would sit there and we, we'd think two things. The first thing we'd think is, this JV team is really good. Wouldn't we be like, what is, this is incredible. This is incredible. 
this team, I can't imagine they're this good. But you know, the second thing we'd think is, if JV is this good, what's varsity going to be like? How, how big is varsity going to be? If JV's this good, I can't wait till varsity shows up. What are they going to be like? And this is the feeling of John the Baptist. It isn't that you don't think he's great. You're like, this dude's incredible. I mean, look at all the significant events God is doing to highlight John the Baptist. But the reality is, he's just JV, if I could say it. He's just the forerunner. If he's this incredible, how incredible is the one he's pointing to be, pointing to going to be? Well, he's going to be the greatest. He's going to be the greatest. He's the long-awaited rescuer. He's the Messiah. He's going to come to earth and live the sinless life that we all should have lived but didn't. He's going to die the death that we all as sinners deserve, bearing the wrath of God on the cross as our substitute in our place, condemned. He stands. He's going to resurrect from the dead three days later, justifying, vindicating everything He said so that through repentance and faith in this work, in this Savior, we all, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, could be saved, forgiven of their sins, adopted back into God's family, reconciled with their Creator, not through their own works, but through the works of this Rescuer, through the works of Jesus Christ. He's going to come and give eternal life to those who believe so that one day they will never live with sickness again. They will never live in terror again. That ugly word cancer will be gone forever from everyone that is in the new heavens and new earth. Getting rid of us us of terror, of worry. He's going to rid us of every tear. And only joy will be in His presence forever. That's the varsity guy who's coming on the scene. That's who Jesus is. And this narrative and all the incredible events surrounding it are to be flashing lights for us. Look, see who this Savior is. See who this Jesus is. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to set the world right. And right now, God wants you to see this. God wants us to see this. This incredible Savior that is coming. The lights are urging us all. Look, see, repent, and believe. The promised coming one has come. His name is Jesus Christ. And He has finished His work. We should look to Him and rest in Him today. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see the incredibleness of who You are. Jesus Christ, come to earth. Live the righteous life. Died the death we deserve. So that through no work of ourselves, but through faith, by grace through faith, we can be reconciled and forgiven of our sin. Give us eyes to see it this morning, God. Give us eyes to wonder at Your mercy and Your grace toward us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.